0: Chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 12 to 18. I'm reading in the New International Version. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's
1: Word. Thank you. Oh, good, morning. good morning. Again, new glasses. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> Making our salvation work, we're continuing in the series uh, from Philippians. And as has just been read, two particular phrases stand out, continue to work out your salvation. And then a little bit later on, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes when I read that, and probably you too, at face value, Philippians 2 presents us with a problem, doesn't it? Because it talks about salvation, it seems to plunge us straight into the middle of the grace versus law and the faith versus work works area. And of course, there are different ideas of salvation which have divided Christians over um, many hundreds of years. Um, I had an experience in my earlier life within the Catholic Church. And traditionally, the Catholic Church had taught that no one can be certain of being saved. So better do a lot of good things. (laughs) And you don't know until you get to the end whether it's been enough. Wouldn't it be tragic to get to this point, you know, the, the, the cartoons. How many cartoons can you think of where someone arrives at the, at the pearly gates and someone says, I'm sorry, but you haven't quite done enough? <laughs> Wouldn't that be tragic? Wouldn't that be tragic? Well, against this, most of Christianity has understood, as the, the Apostle Paul did, that no one can earn their salvation by their good works. It's good that we do good works, but when we're talking about salvation, we don't actually earn our salvation by our good works. Rather, salvation is a free gift from God which simply needs to be received. And sometimes I think that that's... A challenge for us too because we like to think that we can earn something. We like to feel that we can put in some effort and it's good. You know, when I talk to the guys at the men's shed, they're in there with their pieces of wood and things like that and they exert an effort on it and at the end of it, it looks good and they feel good that they've put in effort and got a good result. However, as I say, the scriptures seem to point in a different direction. Once we hear the message of Jesus Christ and what we've just sung about, of his death on the cross and his resurrection, against that we have Romans 10, 9 and 10 in the NIV. How simple is this? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess in faith and are saved. It's hard to imagine these days that something like that could be a radical message. I was watching recently a video called God in America and it covers quite a bit of the American history of the church and the the earlier parts are fascinating to me because you see we have a situation at that time where there are lots of men in fancy clerical gear in usually white churches on green fields and they're saying You need to be here, filling a seat in the church, and that's what it's about. Contrary to that, some people, independent preachers, and a good many Baptists among them, came into the east of the United States and started to say, you must be born again. Or as another version says in the Bible, you must be born from above. And so, this message suddenly started to spread through the churches, as it did in early Australia as well. And regular people were getting this message that kind of contradicted what they'd been taught and what had been expected. And it was a very radical message we forget how radical this message really is in our time. I think we need to rediscover it, because we still have in these days, churches where people come on a Sunday, they sit down, and they're told, well that's all that's required of you. Just keep on working, keep on doing good things, but there's a freedom to discover. See, once we have given our lives to Jesus, as I've described above, we have a security in Christ. Have you read Romans one, uh, Romans eight one, and this is wonderfully liberating? It says, "Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." How many times do we need to read and reread that? And I said in a conversation recently. Um, as i was visiting a couple of people to me i found that particularly liberating as i thought about that there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus well the first and obvious thing is that if you are in christ jesus and there's no condemnation it means that we are not condemned by god and as we think about it a little further People will try to condemn us, won't they? They'll try to bully bully us in life. They'll try to exert um, manipulation on us. Uh, They will come to us and say that you're a terrible person and I see your faults. It's full of condemnation. But I think we need to remind ourselves that under this same verse, if we're Jesus Christ's property, if we've given ourselves to him, then there's no condemnation from others as well. Yes, they may say it, but we will be free from it. And the third thing that I mentioned uh, in the group was self-condemnation. As I thought about this verse, how wonderful it is that not only can I be free under God and escape the effect of condemnation from other people, but I don't even have to condemn myself. Why? Because I belong to Jesus Christ. The Galatians church, as you know, started to fall back into religious habits. They started to think that they would be saved by how many good works they did. And the Apostle Paul reprimanded them. He said, you foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly proclaimed as crucified, what we've sung about. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by doing good, or by believing what you had heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning in the spirit, are you now trying to complete things in the flesh? Of course, there's another side to the, to the matter of being saved, isn't there? While we are not earning our salvation through being good, uh, once we are saved, we have responsibilities. And we find those in, uh, mentioned in James 1 James And it reminds us, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But remember, and this is not the quote, but remember, this flows from being saved, not as a way to achieve it. And Paul taught the church in Rome that salvation was entirely about faith rather than about keeping Hebrew laws. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says, and you know this so well, how many times have you heard this? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who does what? Good works? No. Who believes? First the Jew, then the Gentile. For the gospel is the uh, is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And Paul said the Hebrew nation, at least at that time, uh, had a problem because they had tried to do things uh, ritually through the law and achieve salvation through that. And he said it's not possible. So we also need to be on guard against doing religious stuff, don't we? Without cultivating that personal relationship with Jesus. So that raises the question, what is salvation? More to the point, what does salvation mean in the context of Philippians 2? How did they understand it? And how are we to understand it? And what does it mean to work out salvation? Well, the Old Testament uses many words to describe salvation, and the most common is Yasser. It sticks in my mind because I think of Yasser Arafat, (laughs) but maybe that's not the right connection, (laughs) because I also remember him blowing up planes. (laughs) But anyway, the name means salvation. Uh, and in the, it, it, these are the things that it means, um, to save, to help in distress, to rescue, to deliver, to set free. And I think of the helicopters rescuing people off the beaches, off the sea, the rescue squad. And in the New Testament, another word is used of being saved, and it's called soteria, And it usually denotes something slightly more, a more spiritual significance. It's not that it loses the Old Testament meaning. The Old Testament meaning is very much tied to uh, the land that God had given the people. And out of that, the relationship that develops with God, because he has given us land. (laughs) We We have to behave a certain way because... That's the kind of people God wants in the land he has given. So it's a special setting there. But the New Testament meaning, soteria, it means deliverance from molestation of enemies. How many times in your life would you like to be set free from molestation of enemies? As I watch the TV news, how many of those people would love to be set free? from molestation of their enemies. It also means safety of one's soul, a fullness of benefits and blessings. And A.W. Pink says this, he he describes it as being rescued from the penalty, power, presence, and most importantly, the pleasure of sin. Now you can tell he's a preacher because there's so many P's in there. (laughs) P, 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 P. Penalty, power, presence, and the pleasure of sin. We're rescued from all of that. And overall, the Bible uses salvation to describe safety, health, well-being, healing. How many conferences do we have on healing and well-being? How many magazines have you seen? How many articles and documentaries have you seen on TV saying, how can we get well, how can we leaving God out of the equation. And yet God is the provider of all this because salvation means more than just escaping from uh, this world and its sins by the skin of your teeth. It means an engagement personally with God and it means all these other things. The New Testament, let's, let's turn to that. With the coming of Jesus, the idea of salvation takes a big step forward In Matthew's gospel an angel tells Mary and Joseph that their child will be called Jesus Now why do you think it was so important for him to be called Jesus rather than another family name Well the angel explained because he will save his people from their sins in Matthew 1:21 to 23 You see the name Jesus actually means salvation. So this person who came from heaven, who came to be born as a child, who ministered on earth for 30-odd years, who died on a cross, who rose again, his name means salvation. Why do we need Jesus? We need Jesus because he is salvation. And at the very heart of the idea of salvation, there's Christ crucified, 1 Corinthians 1. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, and was handed to death for our sins, Romans 4 what Jesus did in our name he did in our place giving us as a ra- giving his life as a ransom for many Matthew 20 Okay let's let's turn to Philippians itself we've also we've referred to it in this but let's turn specifically there You see in the old testament salvation was about the land and relationships and not only uh, a vertical relationship but God was saying, you need to be relating well to other people as well, if we are to be the people of God. In the New Testament, Jesus as God's special messenger comes as the only means of being restored to God. And the Apostle Paul brings the two ideas together when he writes in Philippians. He is telling them that division within the church will affect their relationship with God and I'll just pause just a moment, can you think of circumstances that that's been so where there has been division in churches and because there's so much focus on other people in a negative sense people soften their relationship or even leave their relationship with God Uh, these two things are joined um, there was in America over the last few years uh, churches who declared themselves to be horizontal churches. You know, they're all about people, and looking after people. And there were other churches who said, well, We're a vertical church. We're, <laughs> we're all about a relationship with God. But what we find in Philippians and, and the rest of the Bible too is that the two things are related, they're intimately related. Now here's another angle that maybe you haven't thought about before. You see, when most commentators look at this area of Philippians 2, they talk about eternal salvation. And there's no doubt that Philippians 2 is about eternal salvation. But there's another way of looking at this. Is it possible that Paul is talking about the salvation or the rescue of of the church, which has conflict within itself. You see, not only does the church that he's addressing need the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ earned on the cross, but they need to live out that salvation in unity. Not ignoring things, but dealing with things. Remember what we've been saying about the Old Testament. It had a broader and relational meaning. Remember how these were reflected in 1 John, where we're told to be uh, both concerned with God, love God, and love others as well. And another issue which comes up is do we not work for our... Excuse me. We do not work for our salvation, which is good works, but we work... Out our salvation, you see. That's what the Scripture said. It didn't say work out, work for your salvation. It said work out your salvation. In other words, the Philippians already had a salvation, and what they had to do is live it out. And one of the ways they would live it out was being in unity. It's the same for us, isn't it? Now, how would it be if I ignored a message that called for salvation? I think that would be irresponsible. And so briefly, I'll just talk about what salvation is, how we enter in. Now, there are many ways in the Bible that talk about salvation and how we enter it. Um, If you've been in church for a while, you will know that there's a number of methods uh, one of them is, is famous. It's called the Roman Road, and it just takes a number of verses through the Book of Romans to the logical step that you know here is Jesus. We get to to know who Jesus is. Uh, the church gets to know him and respond, and etc. 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 Here's another way. It's a little bit simpler. It's A B C. Can anyone remember A B C? So you know, it's easy to remember. Being reconciled to others requires that we first be reconciled to God. And there are various ways to explain it. So this is one. A, admit that you're a sinner. Now, that can be hard to do, but I'd like to remind everyone that we're all sinners. As the song said, you know, God loves us when we're good. I'm so thankful the next part said he loves us when we're bad as well. (laughs) That covers everything. So, A, admit you're a sinner. Uh, It says in Romans 3, there is no one who is righteous. Some pretend to be, but there's no one who is righteous. Not even one. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of of the glory of God. That includes me, everyone here. Still in A, ask for God's forgiveness. It says in Romans 10, everyone, once again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is there anyone here who's not everyone? Everyone. Okay, B, believe in Jesus. So we've had, admit you're a sinner, number one. Number two will be, believe in Jesus. Put your trust in him alone for your salvation. Why? Well, it says in John 3.16 this, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we see that again in John 14.6. And, of course, still under the, the, B, the B category, become a child of God by receiving Christ. It's explained in John 1.12 to all who received him, once again, all who received him. Is there anyone left out who has made a decision for Christ and left out? Not according to this. For all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John one twelve. And finally, a very short one. C, confess or say that Jesus is your Lord. We touched on that earlier, didn't we? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a lovely assurance. I admire those people in early America and in other places, those preachers who went out and preached the message, you must be born again. If you think you're going to heaven without that, we need to check. (laughs) We need to have a reality check here. Because the Bible says, salvation's only found in Jesus, and you must be born again. And as I've just described, it's ABC. It's easy enough. As long as you're sincere, say Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead. So from the Old Testament we learn that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And guess what? We're, we're part of that. We encounter a God who says, come, he wants a relationship, come, let us reason together. How wonderful to have a mighty God who's not about to swipe us over the head. Rather he is saying, <laughs> He is saying, come, let us reason together. Counseling. (laughs) Come, let us reason together because we want to have this exchange, not a conflict, but we want to have an exchange that results in connection. That's our God. That's what God is saying to you and me. God wants to develop something within us and through us to others. And there are strong indicators in the Old Testament of a coming Savior who will make this possible. And in the New Testament, we encounter Jesus who comes with divine power. He temporarily gives up his place in heaven to come to earth because he wants to live out that come, let us reason together. That's what he comes to do. He comes in divine power, and yet he offers us God's mercy. He offers us God's mercy, if only we will receive it. And in Philippians, we learn salvation and unity in the faith are deeply connected. So what about us here in Erinach? Well, we know from uh, Luke 10 uh, that there's something within salvation that has to do with love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And we understand that having already personally and individually given our lives to Jesus, our risen Lord and Saviour, we already possess eternal life. Wouldn't it be nice if we found out how to live that out? You know, it's not just a matter of I'm saved and one day when I die, I'll enter into another room. Eternal life begins here and now and continues on. We have something to live for. We have something to live out. So we now have the exciting project of working out what it means to be the church in Arana, what it means to be saved people. And we learned that this involves a commitment to God and a commitment to one another as the church and a commitment to reaching out in our, into our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we have been saved, we can do this with confidence I'm sure that many of you have lived faithfully uh, since you gave your life to Jesus Christ and I applaud you for that. As we are a community, I hope that we increasingly share that with one another and encourage one another in the faith. But I also expect, on the basis of what Philippians says, that we will increasingly reach out to other people it's not hard they expect if they think about God at all they expect an angry God but our message is a God who says come let us reason together and do you remember those verses in the book of Revelation where it says come come God is saying that all the time come let's pray Father God, we we thank you that you are such a gracious God. That you are full of mercy and that you seek us out, both individually and as a crowd of believers. I thank you, Lord, that the task that you give us to live out is not too difficult. Because you have given your Holy Spirit... You desire that the Spirit will flood our lives in greater ways, and your Spirit empowers us to fulfill the commission to share the gospel. Oh, and we bless you and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry has
0: just spoken.